0: remain standing. Our scripture reading comes this morning from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 3 verses 4 through 15. King Solomon went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You've always, or you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all of his court. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. <clears throat> it's so good to be here with you all today as we are gathering to worship together on this first Sunday of the month of August. It feels like summer uh, was a blink, but that's okay because I'm ready for school to get back in, in normal life, to get back into session. Uh, Last week we began a six-week sermon series where we're looking at just some fun board games that many of us have played and we're finding the way that how playing the game can help to connect us to the Bible or at least can help us to think creatively about the Bible and what it means for us to be a people of faith either in seeking wisdom as we talk about today or in last week in the way we make choices Last week we looked at the fun game operation as we looked at Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking uh, to the Pharisees and to the disciples and to the great crowds. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells the Pharisees as well as followers of him that the only change that they can bring about is the change in themselves. Because he knew them, he knew their temptation, and he knew that it would be our temptation for us to focus on everything else and everyone else's lives and to not focus on our own and so jesus talked about how the only change that you and i can engage in or that the followers of him can engage in are change that we bring about for us we're the only one who can repent of our sins we're the only one who can choose to accept jesus into our heart or who can invite the holy spirit to guide us and direct us in a way like no other I can pray it for others, I can hope it for others, but when it comes to Jesus really changing your heart, you're the only one who can do that for yourself. So today we're going to be talking about the game of life, and I'll be honest, uh, this is probably one of the games that everyone has a copy of some version in their home, although I appreciate you saying it wasn't one of your favorites. For me, it's Monopoly. I don't like Monopoly. Monopoly takes too long, and it does not promote harmony within the family. So, uh... Uh, so I don't like playing Monopoly. Um, anyway, like I even have a John Deere version of Monopoly that a youth in Albuquerque gave me that I don't even think we've ever broken the seal on. Anyway, um, so as I read about the game of life, I'll be honest, I was kind of surprised to, to learn its history. It all begins with Milton Bradley. We all know the name of Milton Bradley because Milton Bradley was a, a game a company or is a game company today. But the original Milton Bradley lived in the 1800s. And in the 1850s, he had bought a lithographic printer, which in those days was, you know, that was cutting-edge technology. And initially, Bradley bought this printer, and he used it to print this picture of Abraham Lincoln on the left in the 1840s and 50s. So this was the unshaven Abraham Lincoln before he entered into national politics, before he burst into the political scene nationally. And so Bradley had, uh, he was doing great, he was supporting himself and his family by printing these pictures of Abraham Lincoln, and then Abraham Lincoln grew a beard, and he didn't have that photo, and so demand for his photos went from up here to the basement, and all of a sudden he had this really expensive printer, and he was trying to figure out what he was going to do with it before he sold it and moved on to something else. So in 1860, he designed a game that he called the Checkered Game of Life. This game, here's a picture of the board. It was fashioned after a checkerboard, as you can see, and on each square there are different decisions or things that you were supposed to do. Now Bradley based his game on helping people or helping young adults or teenagers or children to develop a moral life, to make moral decisions that are important. And so that's what he focused on in the designing of this board. He even took off some, um, uh, so because he wanted the game to be both fun and also for people to, to for it to reinforce moral living. Additionally, he did not choose to use dice for his game because he had associated, in those days, dice was associated with gambling. And so over time, so he chose to, to have this spinner, and over time, the game was adjusted slightly. Uh, there was a square labeled um, suicide that has since been removed, um, and there were a couple of other squares that um, in the 1860s were fine on the game, but really in a game today, they wouldn't include them. And so this game's over 100 years old. When they renamed the game on its 100th birthday, they uh, called it the Game of Life. The game was given the mountains, the plastic mountains and the buildings and the other things that you and I know of it. In 1999, as it got older, uh, they began printing other versions of the game, such as Extreme Reality, Super Mario. Uh, we, we have a, is not an iPad version on the iPad? Um, I'll be honest, I googled versions of the game, and did you know there is a Pirates of the Caribbean version? And if you'd like to spend $130, you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, in any case, this game's a favorite, and it's been played for over 150 years as people have to make decisions on how they're going to live their life in gameplay. Do I go to college? Do I just get a job? Uh, am I married? Uh, how many little pegs or children will I have? In on the game of life, all of these decisions impact the end of the game when you retire and the payout that you receive, Right? And then you add the spinner. The spinner, you spin it from 1 to 10. Whatever it lands on, it takes away some of our decisions. This is where the game becomes a game of chance, right? It's not just, it's not just focused on your game of skill or the way that you're able to play it. And the Skinner is helpful because it's like regular life. And I think what it does is it helps to us to, to recognize and to realize and to be reminded that in the game of life, there are some things that are just beyond our control, aren't there? Not every aspect in our life is, beyond, is within our control. Accidents happen out of our control. Good fortune happens. That can also be out of our control. Health is both in our control and out of our control. Job, everything but no one makes their decisions in life based on a spinner, do they? Has anyone ever made a decision based on flipping a coin? I don't have a coin in my pocket. Um, I mean, you could flip a coin for something fun, like whether you're going to have chocolate or vanilla icing, or, you know, or cake or ice cream or whatever. Uh, deciding what restaurant you're going to go to, what movie you're going to go to. Uh, some decisions are okay when we leave them up to chance, right? Because they don't have a lasting uh, effect. But other decisions are way too important. They're way too significant for us to make or for us to leave them up to just flipping a coin and seeing what happens. And so I think this morning that's where this ties into our scripture. That's where it ties into what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to live as a person of faith in response and in relationship with God. Because King Solomon, when he became king, knew that there was something he needed that he was lacking. Or maybe he had wisdom. Obviously he had wisdom because he was willing to make this ask of God. But I think he realized that he needed it in an even greater measure. And so in our scripture this morning we've read from uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. In this passage of scripture Solomon has just received the kingship from David. David has grown old and his son Adonijah has tried to, to claim the cl- kingship for himself. Solomon's mother Bathsheba goes to, to King David and reminds him. That he had made a promise to her uh, after their adultery when their first child together died that, that her child would be the one that would succeed him as the king. And so David, with this reminder, uh, anoints his son Solomon. He picks his son Solomon. He, he transfers power to Solomon. And then he dies. And so in 1 Kings, Solomon has, has made an alliance with the king of Egypt. He's married her daughter, uh, He's showing his love of God by by walking according to the statues of his father David, except he offered his sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So Solomon is doing what he's supposed to do as the king of Israel. He's honoring God. He's serving the people. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then Solomon goes to Gibeon, which is this high place where everyone would go and sacrifice. You have to remember, this is before the temple has been constructed in Israel. There's, no, there's not a place in, in Jerusalem where everyone is supposed to go. And Solomon, Solomon goes where everyone goes and offers sacrifice. And there God appears to him in a dream and says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon's answer was to give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. He asks for a discerning heart. He asks for wisdom. If you think about it, he had a tough job. He's still consolidating power as the king of Israel. He is attempting to make decisions that benefit both the kingdom as well as the people that live in the kingdom. He wants to do the best job possible. So above all else, when given the opportunity by God to ask for anything, he asks for wisdom. I got on the the internet and looked up the definition of wisdom, and this is the answer that I got. Did I not put it on a slide? I forgot to put it on a slide. Okay, so you're just going to have to listen to it. It says, the quality of having experience, oh, there it is, knowledge and good judgment, the quality of being wise. Okay, so wisdom according to the dictionary consists of three things, experience, knowledge, and good judgment, and using all three together to make the right decision. This means that you can have all the knowledge in the world about a topic, and still make a decision that isn't wise, can't you? I can certainly think of times, I'm sure all of you can think of times or of people in your life or maybe even your own experience where you have known everything knowledge-wise about a topic and the decision you make or that someone else makes is not a wise one. I know I've done that. What about experience? When we make a decision, how often do we actually base our decision on experience that we have previously? Or how often do we make decisions without considering experience and then we find ourselves in the same position that we were before, either with the same person or with other, or with other things? Do we really look at experience when we make decisions? I mean, it's like going to a contractor, and they know that you know they didn't finish the job the first time, yet you hire them in your new house to do the job a second time. How's your prior experience? Friends, we would be be displaying wisdom if we made a decision based on prior experience. That's what it says. What about judgment? Judgment. I mean, honestly, all I have to say is we all have decisions we've made that we can look at them and say, yeah, it was good judgment or it was bad judgment, can't we? But here's where it is as followers of Jesus and like Solomon. Acting in wisdom involves a combination of all three of these. It involves knowledge, it involves prior experience, it involves good judgment, but it also involves one other necessity that's the most important factor, I believe, in making decisions and that's the necessity that Solomon identified in his life when he answered and when he, uh, when he looked to the Lord, is we need God's guidance. Solomon realized that for him to be truly wise, for him to be someone who truly could, could model um, you know, a combination of knowledge and prior experience and good judgment, he realized that he needed God's help. And that on his own, he wouldn't be able to do it. He needed God's help. He needed God's discernment. He needed God's clarity to make decisions that didn't just benefit him and didn't just benefit the people, but decisions that also glorified God himself. And I would say that's the important addition that we need when it comes to making decisions in our lives. We need wisdom that's not just a combination of knowledge and of experience and of prior, and of judgment, but we need wisdom that is guided by God Himself. As we seek to discern and, and seek to follow His will as followers of Jesus, we have this opportunity to, to turn to God ourselves and to invite God to, to dwell within us through the power of the Spirit. When we seek God's guidance and input in our decisions, we may find out that God provides us clarity when we make a decision. We may also find that God is going to say, no, that's really not where I want you to go. Go look somewhere else. We may find guidance. And we may find a time where we see that something that we feel is, is in the spotlight for us, that God has said, that's not for you. Shut that door. Go this way. But here's where it ties into our game today. See, some decisions in life are just too important for us to flip a coin or for us to spin a wheel. Is it fun? Sure. For unimportant things, for inconsequential things. But for things that are important, for things that are life-based, for things that are faith-based, they're just too big for us to leave it to chance. We have to give it to God. And that's why we need to seek the wisdom. We need to seek the will of God. We have to pray for the little decisions. We have to give God the big decisions. We have to pray that God will take the the areas of our hearts where we've become hard-hearted or and weaken them so that we can be molded into His image and we can follow His will. We can follow His purpose and we can follow His plan for our lives. But to do that, it takes humility and it takes us trusting and it takes us asking God to give us his wisdom, to use us according to his will and to help us to become something that is far greater than anything that you or that I can do or be on our own. Yes, we need wisdom. We need wisdom that consists of knowledge, of prior experience, and of good judgment all mixed in with an even greater portion of submission to God and guidance by His Spirit. Amen.